Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello and welcome to the Author's Corner. I am your host, Robin Colucci, and today we are going to continue our conversation on the question of how do we make the publishing industry become a more diverse and welcoming environment for a broader groups of authors, as well as people working in the industry, and obviously for readers. And so today I have with me Jen T. Grace. Now, Jen is sometimes known as the professional lesbian, and she is a nationally recognized business strategist, speaker, and author who specializes in helping businesses figure out how to best tap into the LBGTQ market's $3.7 trillion of purchasing power. Jen has published four books on the subject, including Beyond the Rainbow, Personal Stories and Practical Strategies to Help Your Business and Workplace Connect with the LGBTQ Market. Now, beyond that, Jen has founded her very own hybrid publishing house, and this was fueled by her passion for helping people share their stories of adversity. She founded Publish Your Purpose Press in 2016, and since then, PYP has worked with a diverse group of authors to develop and publish books on topics ranging from mental health to racial trauma, to building a more inclusive workplace. PYP is also a proud member of the National LGBT Chamber of Commerce and the Women's Business Enterprise National Council. And her company, PYP, is also a B Corp, which is a status that can be rather difficult to obtain, but it's a status that lets people know that your company has running their business with sustainable, environmentally and socially conscious practices. So PYP also runs their own internal supplier diversity program where they actively partner with diverse suppliers. And in this interview today, I want to invite you to listen with an open mind and an open heart. And it goes in a rather interesting direction where the perspective uh, maybe starts on on the diversity question regarding LBGTQ authors. But as we talk, we pull the lens back farther and farther to take a broader and broader view And I will just let you listen and enjoy to see where we end up. Thank you and enjoy. So Jen, welcome back to the Author's Corner. Thank you for having me back. It's exciting. It's so great to have you back. And, you know, you probably recall, but the first time we had you on, you talked about the nine questions that an author, potential author should ask themselves before signing on the dotted line with any publisher, right? And we got some incredibly helpful tips to that, you know, with all my years of experience in the industry, I can say every single one of them was right on point. So <laughs> uh, definitely worth a go back and a re-listen. But, you know, and one of the things we talked about before that episode was another side of the question of the shortage of diversity and inclusion in the publishing industry itself. And then also some of the imperatives just of, you know, being a publisher and, you know, what does it look like to be a socially, environmentally conscious, right, publishing house? And so I was thinking about it and I was like, well, it's kind of like we could call this like the nine questions or however many questions a publishing house should be asking themselves, 
Ooh, I like that. That's giving me some good marketing ideas right now. Ooh, I like right. <laughs> about how they are conducting their business. And so actually, when I toss that out to you, I'm just curious, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? Oh, geez. Okay. Right on the spot, right out of the gate. Okay. As always, you know. I know, right? <laughs> well, the first thing that pops in my mind is just an internal commitment to this being important to the publishing house. I think that's the immediate thing, which is not the outward facing thing that I think people would typically say, right? People would typically be like, how can we come out of the gate and just tell everybody that we're inclusive of all people, regardless of age, race, gender, sexual orientation, disability, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is that it's an internal thing first. Like there has to be a commitment and a buy-in on the inside across the board that diversity, both from an employee base and a customer base are an important part of the core values of the company. Right. And an author base, right? So because yeah. you want to have... And I think that's really a great point, right? Because otherwise it's just about optics. Absolutely. And I think that's where things fall apart when it is just about the optics. And I think, you know, you said environmentally and and socially or sustainable. And I think about just being a certified B Corp and the metrics and the hoops that you have to jump through in order to state these things. But in those cases, there are checks and balances. But in just publishing broadly, where are the checks and balances? They don't exist, right? So it would be nice if they did exist. I would love that because I would have no problem meeting whatever those checks and balances are. But I think because there's no overlord in the industry kind of like looking down upon people saying like, you really need to get yourselves together internally to like, to do this, someone has to take the initiative. And I don't know where that's going to come from, from a big picture standpoint. Yeah, that's interesting. I can't even imagine where that would come from. And I could also imagine that an overlord in publishing would probably create a whole new set of problems. (laughs) That's probably not the best word to use. We might be, you know, hurtling in that direction anyway with publishing, you know, the bigger houses eating the little houses (laughs) and acquiring them left and right. (laughs) But you're in a position where you're a smaller, independent, hybrid press. And I know, you know, as an out lesbian woman, and you've written several books Mm -hmm. that address your experience, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, within those circumstances that are connected to that. And, you know, this is, I thought it would be interesting today to talk a little bit more in detail about the LBGTQ community in publishing because they are also hugely underrepresented, especially writing about that particular experience. There's a lot of LGBTQ authors, but they might not be necessarily out or even writing about, and especially not writing about their experience. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, as someone who's been out my entire professional career, and I shouldn't say has not been an issue, like that I have had moments in my professional time that it has been an issue. As a businesswoman, it has not been an issue. And, but that's hard for people to kind of get to that place of just being like out and comfortable and don't really care what people say or don't say. And to me, it's a way to, it's a vetting mechanism because if you are not like, if my sexual orientation bothers you that much, I do not want to work with you. Like that is just a, a very, which is why I have it very clearly kind of stated everywhere because I, I'd rather, you know, cause marketing, you either want to attract or repel. And we yes. always talk about attracting the right people, but we don't talk about repelling the wrong people. So there's kind of that piece that just kind of popped in my head, but you know, while you're thinking about that, because I'm thinking about how we repel people pretty mm-hmm. deliberately too is just when we talk about the kinds of books that we help people write, I think that that makes it pretty clear that we are, we believe in climate change (laughs) as something that's really happening, you know, that we are. And, you know, reading our blogs or looking at our podcast, you can see that we are committed to diversity and inclusion. And you can see that we, you know, for the lack of a better term, have a more left-leaning perspective. Not to say that we don't work with people who are on the other side of the aisle, as long as what we're writing about, we can agree on. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> you know, as long as we're both supporting what the actual subject matter of the book is, I don't yeah. need to be aligned with everybody on every point. But anyway, but I do think that what you say should absolutely also turn off the people who yeah. 
might not want to be writing about the kinds of things that you want to help share. Yeah. And to your point, your catalog of books speaks volumes as to what, what you're passionate about. And right. our catalog of books certainly has a very, you know, socially responsible, a lot of diversity, equity, inclusion, leadership, self-help business books. And 46% of our authors are LGBTQ people, 46%. That does not mean that they are writing about LGBTQ topics though. And so that's kind of like an interesting distinction. But I was reading something about the book banning the other day. Yeah, (laughs) that's been a big trending thing. My (laughs) word. And sexual orientation and gender identity were at the top of the heap of books being banned. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting since many of our books are you know orbiting in that space. And I think it just goes to show from a high level the lack of inclusion that exists. Because you know the and, and I don't I'm not an expert in the book banning at all. I literally like had a conversation and read an article. But just seeing that there's you know laws and you know government being involved in making these decisions as it relates to schools and things like that, it's such a crappy tone that there is nobody in the book industry who's stepping forward to condemn the fact that this is happening, regardless of what topic is being banned. But there is no united front that I can see. Maybe it's happening. I'm just not seeing it to just kind of combat this issue head on. And we're just sitting back and allowing it. It's like, are we in 2022 or are we in 1950? I don't really understand like what time frame we're living in right now. Yeah, no kidding. Well, there's a lot going on that kind of smacks of the World War II and post-World War II era. I'll just put it that way, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And that is a really good point. Like, where is the pushback, mm-hmm. right, of saying, you know, enough is enough? You know, why is the government making this decision? And when we supposedly have a First Amendment, like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not even going to go down that rabbit hole because that will be. Really I know, because and really, it is, and it is. Yeah, it's definitely. A lot of these books deal with race mm-hmm. and gender and coming of age and things like that. So yeah, it's just sure. censorship, right? It's censorship at its finest, and it's also, you know, I think if leadership reflected the diversity of the actual population of this country, both in government and in corporate and in publishing maybe this would be a little bit different. Obviously, it wouldn't solve all of the problems, but there's just a lack of, to me, there's a lack of diversity broadly within publishing. I think that's a well-established fact. I'm not sharing anything new. But I think that's also what's great about companies like mine and companies like yours is that we as independent, smaller, whether it's service providers, hybrid publishers, wherever we're operating, we are able to bring light to those voices that are being completely silenced in these larger contexts. Yeah, so I agree. And I know that you know publishing is interesting because inside the industry itself, I think like three-fourths of the employees are women, but a very small percentage of management is women. And about three-fourths of the industry is white Mm -hmm. also. And so when you have the people who are choosing the books, you know, I think there's always going to be an unconscious bias, right? Because everybody wants to read about themselves, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) Everybody wants to read about their own experience or like a new perspective on their own experience. I think that publishers need to be really mindful about being curious about other people's experiences as well. Yeah. And I think that that's, to me, I think that's just a function of corporate, right? Like I don't necessarily, because there's also obviously diversity and inclusion issues in every corporation as well, regardless of how well they tout how good they are. I think a lot of it's smoke and mirrors, but I think it's just a corporate problem broadly is that the top is so far removed from the bottom and from what people actually want. That's where a lot of this is kind of happening. Again, going back to kind of what you and I do and many people that we know is that we're on the ground, like we're like on the ground with the people and see what is missing and are able to bring those things to light. Whereas when you are so far up in a corporate environment, number one, you have no autonomy, right? You would like to think that maybe the editors would have some say in what books that they're bringing in, but do they really? That might be debatable. I'm not going to put words in I'm going to say from my experience, I think that they do. And though, having said that, there's always somebody right above them who's going to make the decision about whether they're writing a check for that particular book or not. Yeah, that's more of my point. Like they might have interest that they're writing, where does it get blocked before it becomes something? I've seen that happen, by the way. I've seen that happen. 
you know, through an unconscious bias where, or maybe a conscious one, I don't know. I, mm-hmm. But yeah, where a book got turned down when yeah. it was totally qualified. Well, we have a number of books that speak to unconscious bias if anyone needs to read up on it. <laughs> <laughs> and make it conscious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more about, you know, when you talked about like 46% of your authors are LGBTQ, not all of them are writing about their experience. I think that, can you speak a little bit more about, because I think that that's also an important thing, right? It's not just about inviting authors from different backgrounds and different preferences to write about their experience. It's just about inviting more authors to the table, period. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering if you have anything else to add to that, because I think that is also a nuance that could get missed in this conversation of true inclusion. Mm. You know, I think true inclusion looks different to different people. But I think if you're being truly inclusive in the books that you're publishing, the authors that you're supporting, and your company values, it kind of emanates and seeps out in all of those directions. Whereas if you're not, I think the same holds true in reverse, where because what I know to be true from my own personal standpoint, and having had a consulting business that literally trained many people all around the globe on this particular thing, is that when you are coming from a marginalized standpoint, whether it's because you have a disability, whether it's LGBTQ status, it could be simply because you're a woman and disadvantaged in that regard in a specific industry or something like that. What I know to be true for how a consumer buys is that when I'm going to look at a company that I want to do business with, so whether that's me on a personal level, I want to go, I'm buying a car, I'm buying a whatever I'm doing. Or if it's me as a business owner looking for other suppliers or vendors to work with, I am looking up and down at all of these data points to see, is this going to be a safe person to work with? That's the number one factor mm. there is safety. It's not inclusion, right? It's inclusion is there. Seeing oh. diversity is there. But at the end of the day, I am looking for safety. So here's an example unrelated to books yeah. that I share about in a book that I wrote a number of years ago. I, at the time, my now ex-wife, she screwed up her garbage disposal. I had to hire a plumber to come in, look at the thing, couldn't figure it out. We had like four different plumbers who had to come into the house to figure it out because it was so, so destroyed. And every time a plumber came to the door, our wedding picture was like just over my shoulder when you would open the front door. And I am not quite five, three. So I am not of any sturdy stature here. And so (laughs) every time I opened that door, I had the idea of, am I safe letting this person in the house when my wedding picture showing two women is directly behind me? And it's safety is the bottom line decision. So as consumers, and this is applicable for authors too, if they're evaluating a publisher's website and there is something that is anti-Semitic on it, you can draw a pretty good parallel that if someone's anti-Semitic, they're also going to be anti-LGBTQ. Like, and it's not a direct correlation, but hate is hate, right? And so, yeah. and I'm not saying that there's people out there publishing these things, but of course, books, they all exist. But <laughs> it's one of those things that from a consumer standpoint, your consumers are watching you, whether you realize they're watching you or not. Your yeah. readers are watching you, whether you realize it or not. And safety to me is one of those fundamental kind of pieces. It's called psychological safety. We also have books we publish that covers this too. So if anyone needs you know, a resource to learn from, but consumers are paying attention. So they're paying attention to those empty promises to say like, oh yeah, we support, you know, we support this community or this community, or we sponsored this thing. People know very clearly if that is real or not. You might think that you're kind of pulling one over on someone, but you're not really. And so that's the type of stuff that I think from, at least for us as publishers, right? We can control how inclusive we come across just by the books that we choose to publish without having to even enter that person's mind of, is this a safe company to do business with? Right, right. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. And, you know, I'm thinking also, though, I can't help but think about when Simon & Schuster, I believe it was, sold, signed Mike Pence to a two-book deal. And many of the employees of Simon & Schuster were really upset. I think some of them even resigned. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that also raises an interesting question because, I mean, I wouldn't have wanted to 
help Mike Pence with his book, that's for sure. But on the other hand, there's an interesting question of, you know, where is, you know, are we getting into a different kind of censorship, I guess, right? Of like, if we're so unwilling to present an, an alternative viewpoint. And I think that, you know, I've run into this with, you know, having clients who have sometimes some points of view that are not congruent with towing the line of yeah. what the media at large wants to people to hear and that it's been challenging. Yeah. I think you're right, though, because it is bordering on a different type of censorship. And I think censorship is wrong across the board, regardless of what point of view you're coming from. So while am I a fan of Mike Pence? No, of course I'm not. But do I think that his book should be censored or books should be censored? Not really. I think it's just a matter of finding the right outlet and the right publisher to support that book. So for me, you know, if it's something that I don't personally, and that's the beautiful thing about being the founder, right? I get the final <laughs> say. So if it doesn't align with what my personal values are and the core values of my company are, I can send them to somebody else. There's always going to be somebody else that's available to help that person, even if their values don't align with you. But the idea of telling somebody that they're wrong and that their voice has no value, even if it contradicts your own, is not fair at all. Yeah. But I think that to your point, I guess then it becomes the publisher within the publisher's domain of, is this a book that we want to have in our catalog? Mm-hmm. Is this an author that we yeah. want to promote in our catalog? And that's where the pushback from, you know, many of the, the staff. Yeah. And they have every right to, right? They have every right to, but they also are making a conscious decision to be employed by that company. Right. So you have to They're kind of wait. <laughs> I think that's not. correct. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Like, I don't know. It's hard because I think that we are influenced so heavily by the media And, you know, regardless of what, you know, whether you're left, right or center, we're all being influenced by that pull all day long. And so it doesn't, you know, I don't want to put inherent good or evil on any of the sides, but I feel like what side you think you're on, you automatically think that you're the right side. Like, you're like, oh, I like, obviously, (laughs) I'm the good side, of course. Everyone believes they're on the good side. We're all on the good side. We're all the good guys, right? (laughs) So it's just the bad guys. (laughs) There's always. So, which I don't think is a great, healthy way to approach this either, right? We have to be collaborative, especially because we do have such influence, right? Bringing books and voices to the world. Like really think about like the weight of that influence that we have, whether you publish one book a year or a catalog of a thousand, it's still influence that we ultimately have, which is an incredible tool if used properly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, well, listen, people wouldn't be banning books if they weren't so powerful. <laughs> exactly. Yes. That's like, that's the good in all of this, right? Is that they're so powerful, they have to be banned. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's do change the world, which is why our tagline is, you know, mm-hmm. writing world changing books, because it really is true. And yeah. so often, I mean, gosh, you could go all the way back to Plato's Republic. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So powerful, right? Yeah. <laughs> books have been changing the world for millennia. (laughs) And we'll continue to long after we're gone. (laughs) That's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah. So let's talk about this B Corp status. I think this is the other side. Obviously, when you're a publisher, it requires paper. (laughs) It requires computers and chips and all kinds of things that, you know, power. And I know that you've really gone to great lengths to create your publishing house in a way that is also aligned as being a good global citizen. So tell us more about what this set up and, and how this came about for you. It's interesting because the B Corp kind of tagline is business as a force for good. And I feel like that kind of summarizes all of it. Like, so the whole kind of mindset of being a B Corp is that every action you take, everything that you do in your business is a force for a greater good. And it's, you know, socially responsible, it's sustainable, it's environmentally friendly practices. And for me personally, it came up just because I have been like this since I was like in high school, where I've been probably neurotic to an extreme around recycling. And just eliminating just waste because we're such wasteful humans in yeah. so many ways. And it just drives me crazy. And one of my son and I's favorite pastime is 
to go kayaking, you know, just bodies of water nearby and picking up garbage. Because it's amazing how many people go out for a day of boating and just dump all sorts of crap into the river, the reservoir, wherever. And so we bring giant garbage bags. And of course, there's no way to dump it. You can't put like a big dumpster because then people abuse it. And so then I have like a trunk full of garbage that I bring home. It's like, and this is what we do for fun. So that's why I am as just a human. Like if I see it, I cannot, like I pick up litter out in parking lots. It's just, it's a compulsion. So it's part of my beach walking. See, right. Same, same. So I'm on the beach. And so for me, it's just who I am and I can't control it. And I'm not going to try because I feel like it's a good thing. And so when I learned that B Corps were a thing, I was like, well, I have to know more about this. And then I started the process and it is an incredibly daunting process. Like it is not easy at all because you have to put metrics beside every single thing that you do, which includes like your recycling, your trash, how you're getting electric, how you're getting water, how you're disposing of hazardous materials. Like it's literally, and how you're sourcing paper. So it covers all of the things. And what's also interesting, which I really appreciate because again, it's being a force for good is that they have a whole section around supplier diversity where they are requiring you to be intentional and mindful of how you are sourcing suppliers and what they're either, what type of person or type of business they are, what their products are. Are they also sustainable in this kind of food chain as it kind of goes down from a supply standpoint? So it's just, it's really interesting and fascinating. And I did end up hiring a company that's based in New Haven, Connecticut called Impact Growth Partners to actually walk me through the process because it was so overwhelming. I was like, what do I do about the paper? I'm like, we go through a lot of trees, printing books. What do I do with this? And they were able to help me like figure out a way to kind of to write my answer to that question without getting really penalized for it. Because that's like the one thing, especially printing on demand, you know, we do offset printing. In those cases, we have some control over the the paper, but printing on demand, I have no control over the paper. I wish I did. True. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. You're just, the order's going through and they're just printing it mm-hmm. out of whatever paper's there. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. And so you did, you got your B Corp status. We did in 2019, I believe it was. I think it was 2019. So yeah, it's been a couple of years and I'm currently starting the B Local of Connecticut, which is the regional, you know, the state version of the national organization with a couple of, uh, from impact growth partners. So I'm like, that's an undertaking. Why not just throw that into the mix of my day to day? You don't have enough to do Jen. Nah, why not? But it's important to me, right? Because we're growing in Connecticut. There's only like 15 companies that are certified in the state of Connecticut. Really? Tiny. Oh my God. So tiny. 15 companies? Isn't that sad? 15. That is shocking to me. I would have assumed it would have been a couple hundred at least. (laughs) No, I don't know what the number is on a national level or global level, but it's not a huge number because it's still, which is why I'm always talking about it, because Mm -hmm. consumers care. Consumers absolutely care about how sustainable or environmentally friendly your company is that they're buying from. So I buy all kinds of just random things that are compostable or like even just like the dissolvable tablets that come in minimal packaging for laundry, anything to eliminate the amount of plastic being used. Consumers care about that. But from a broader messaging standpoint, they don't realize that there's like the seal of approval that says like, Hey, if I do business with this company, like, I don't have to worry about it. Like Patagonia, for example, like they're a B Corp and which is probably no surprise to anybody or Athletica. Like there's like so many of these companies on a global scale, Bigelow Tees, which is also here in Connecticut. So, you know, but people don't know that. So to me, it's about spreading the broader mission that inclusion means a lot of different things Mm. in my world. It's not necessarily just race or sexual orientation based. Yeah. Say more about how you see the B Corp status and being environmentally responsible as a piece of inclusion. I'd love to hear more on that. I think because to me, we're talking about the environment, which is living and breathing. And we just kind of downplay. I think a lot of times like just climate change. I don't know if you watched Don't Look Up, but I did. I won't spoiler alert it, but the ending, I was like, oh, this is so sad. Like, and I should have known that this was going to happen. I cried like a baby. Mm-hmm. And I sobbed. I just, I mean, it really was, it's been, you know, I've been shocked at how few people have said good things about the movie because mm-hmm. 
I thought it was extraordinarily well done. Mm-hmm. Very ambitious, very ambitious, tough line to walk, you know? Absolutely. I mean, but I feel like it speaks volumes to like where we are at as a society, yes. right? Yes. Yes. Exactly. And it doesn't speak to what side you're on in it, which I appreciate it. Like it made implications of course, but it yes. wasn't like one side's right, one side's wrong. It was basically like, we're all wrong because we can't just come to a common agreement here because we're just ignoring, we're talking over each other rather than having a conversation. So I yeah. think I'm just an environmental... I was thinking, just I want to throw in here because yeah. it was like the metaphor. It's a metaphor for climate change and how we're not dealing with it. And I think you can say that without it being a spoiler. Mm-hmm. But And there's like a six month window that I think is analogous to a 60 year window that we've mm-hmm. had since we've really had mm-hmm. the opportunity to know mm-hmm. and that we are coming up on... Mm-hmm you know, ground zero time and have done very little. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, continue. Well, yeah. I just, you know, I think it's because it's obviously the environment is living and breathing. There's animals that are being impacted by all of these things too. And so I'm not trying to equate, you know, someone who might be an animal rights activist with someone who's a civil rights activist. I'm not trying to make that equation. However, I do think that there is a broader inclusive standpoint here. If we are just thinking through what we mean by being inclusive of everything, you know? Right. And that, right. Because we're all interconnected, right? You can't say, we'll save all the humans and yeah. screw the rest of them. Yeah. You know, right. <laughs> screw all the other life because we all are interdependent. That's exactly know? it, right? We can't say screw the trees because then where's our oxygen? Like, so it's everything. Yeah. yeah, it's just so connected. And so I think we just need to be mindful of that. And again, as smaller businesses, we have influence over those things and we have say, and I think the bigger you get, the harder it is to maintain true to what those core values once were. And what's interesting, I don't know how familiar you are with Lulu, the self-publishing platform. So, you know, and I'm not super familiar with them just yet. And we're kind of evaluating of, is Lulu a better company to refer self-publishing authors to over Ingram Spark or KDP? And when I look at Lulu and the number one appeal to me is that they are also a B Corp. Oh. And I'm like, okay, so for them to be a company of that size, to right. make a commitment about the environment and sustainability is a big statement yes. because it would be very easy to just do what everybody else in this industry is doing. And so just seeing that, I was like, oh, what is this? Like, I need to explore this. And so, and then you have somebody like Ingram, which in Ingram Spark is a division of Ingram that are billions and billions of dollars that have this huge, huge market share. So, you know, even if it's just my small company that publishes 30 books a year, moving, you know, having Lulu be part of some distribution piece, it's still taking away from that corporate mothership that is not doing much in the way of trying to be more inclusive. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Mm -hmm. Well, and you're right. I mean, I think that it can be really easy, especially in the face of these huge conglomerates. And Mm -hmm. as we know, publishing is consolidating very rapidly. So that's, you know, we're having less diversity in terms of ownership and publishing Mm -hmm. going to mean more of these mega companies that are making these huge decisions that impact us all. But I think that it's also important to remember that actually a little company doing big things, Mm -hmm. right? Even inside your own organization, or just the simple act of picking up trash that you see when you're walking on the beach, you know, if everybody or kayaking, you Mm -hmm. know, that those things also add up and, you know, can be at least a beginning. I think that we're also kidding ourselves if we think that it's enough. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We all probably could sit back and ask, you know, how can we be more inclusive in Mm -hmm. our, in everything? Mm -hmm. And I love this, like with ideas, with hiring, Mm -hmm. with the clients that we choose and with, you know, our home, earthly home. I think inclusion is a way of being. It's not a destination, right? It's not a statistic. Yeah, it's not a statistic. And that's how too many companies are treating it. And I also think to a large degree, it feels overwhelming. It feels daunting. People don't know where to start and they don't want to make a step forward. That's the wrong step because we're in such a cancel culture that they're going to get attacked for even trying. And I feel like that's unfair. That feels wildly unfair to me for companies that are genuinely trying, but they don't have their footing yet to be completely, you know, torn down. It's like, we got to give people 
some wiggle room to at least fall on their face to pick themselves back up and then to do it right. Because how else are people going to be able to do it? It's not inherent. I've been doing this work since 2006. So it's just who I am and how I operate. But you know, if someone listening to this were like, hey, I want to like try to figure out how to be more inclusive. If you or I tore them down for their efforts, what incentive do they have? Right. And it just hurts all of us. Yeah. And by the way, like I'm such a newbie and even trying to participate in these conversations, right? It's like my heart has always been there. Mm-hmm. But take your heart and be able to speak to some of these issues with just, you know, there's just not an inclusion, diversity, and equity school just yet, <laughs> you know, where you can kind of go and even get the vocabulary or understand the parameters to navigate. It can be very daunting. It can. It can. It just starts with picking up a book, right? Just picking up a singular book that's written by somebody that doesn't share your viewpoint. And just trying to put yourself into their experience for a minute, because, you know, I can't put myself into the experience of a black woman, but I can put my shoes of being a queer woman in this world. And so those are not to be compared against one another. They're different lived experiences and it provides different vantage points. And so if I were trying to force my view on someone else or someone else on me, it just, it falls apart. It's just not practical. And so just trying to like learn and hear and reading things from people that you don't agree with. That's so important. I feel very center about a lot of things. Like there are plenty of people that I'm not a super fan of that are in, you know, the media, but there's always something to be learned from somebody that shares a different perspective than you always. Yeah. And I think that that empathy piece, right. Is so essential because whether you think you agree with someone or not, I think that just the practice of reading about a different person's experience that might be unfamiliar to you and imagining yourself in that circumstance Mm -hmm. and really feeling into that, right. Is so vital. And again, I think what's so threatening (laughs) when certain people are deciding to ban books. Yeah. But because if we can feel empathy for each other, then it automatically humanizes the so-called other. And then it makes it harder to divide people, you know, and Mm -hmm. and with, pardon the phrase, uh, trumped up reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I couldn't resist. Anyway. (laughs) If we look at empathy for a second, it's a muscle. I think a lot of people either just believe that they have empathy or they don't. But the reality is it is something that we can develop and hone in and strengthen. And it's a muscle we have to exercise. And so we can have empathy. Like I have empathy for people who think 180 degrees differently than I do. And I can still hold both of those truths at once where I don't agree with you, Mm -hmm. but I can hold empathy for maybe how you got here or whatever other thing that you might be saying. That's possible. But we're kind of trained from a media standpoint to just hate anybody that even remotely looks or thinks differently than us. It's just, it makes no sense. And then, and then it's like, it's so much harder to actually figure out any viable solutions to anything, right? If nobody's actually listening to anyone else and we're all just yelling at each other, it's not really productive. It's not, which is the entire message of don't look up. (laughs) (laughs) It's also a wonderful thing about books. You know, when you're reading a book, it forces you to slow down and, you know, hopefully you're probably reading and you're really giving this author your full attention. And I think it is a great reason to seek out books by people that you think that you probably don't agree with. Mm -hmm. I think we have much more in common than any of us actually realize because we're just constantly getting these messages that you're different, you're wrong, you're this, you're that. But the reality is I think that we are all really close to that center. We're just leaning one way or the other in our general beliefs because someone is telling us that we need to. Mm. Tricky. It's a tricky environment out here. (laughs) It is. Everybody back in the boat. We're going down, going down the river to the next stop. (laughs) All right. Well, Jen, listen, on that note, I'm just going to thank you for being here and for sharing and just having this conversation with me. It's so fun. And I definitely learned some new stuff. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I can talk about this stuff all day. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to. My pleasure. If you'd like to learn more about how to be a great global citizen, be sure to check out our client, Nicole Stott's new book, Back to Earth. 
Nicole is a retired NASA astronaut, and Back to Earth is about what life in space taught her about our home planet and our mission to protect it. So thank you again for listening to another episode of The Author's Corner. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time. 